Hello, everybody. This is your Corner Shpeti for the week. This is your friend and host of the aforementioned podcast, Rob Speaking, here with Nick and Kieran. Say hello, boys. Hello. Hey. And we are joined by returning guest Tom McGrath. Tom, what's up, man? Great. I'm good. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, if you heard our last episode with Tom, you'll have some idea of what we're talking about today and a uh, topic I'm very excited about because um, I'm just excited about this uh, movement that we're going to talk about today, the Deutsche Wohnen und Eignen mm. campaign, the the next phase in the oh, I thought we were movement. talking about off-season baseball here. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, like, I would also be excited to talk about that, but <laughs> we'll have to save that for another day. Um, is starting this week, by the time you hear it, on Friday. There will be the first day of uh, collecting signatures. We're going to get into all of that, but first we have to talk about all of the political machinations, the rent sharks, and everything in between. Um, mm. I will say that we're going to talk more about, like, oh, it's been almost two years since we've had you on, Tom. June uh, 2019, I looked it up. So there's a lot that we have to cover that's happened since June 2019. If you want more of the background, go back and listen to the old episode. We cover a lot of, mm -hmm. I don't know the state of housing today and what it means in regards to capitalism and politics. Um, if anyone wants to give a quick shout out to I don't know, a point you want to make again that we covered on the last episode, I would just say I've been thinking a lot recently considering, I don't know what they're calling it now, a K-shape recovery or V-shape recovery, but whatever depression we're in now uh, had me thinking about how much we talked on the last episode about how so much of the housing stock the public housing stock in Berlin was sold off um, after reunification, but how much 2008 and the debt crisis really accelerated that process. And so mm. there's something, I don't know, fitting that we're in a similar moment now and the fight uh, for a right to housing and a right to the city is uh, is heating up. Yeah, I just to kind of, you know, piggyback onto your thing before we go into the episode is that I don't think that I've thought about housing more uh, in this last year with like Corona and stuff like that because of seeing then like potential projects of like projects is, is is giving it too much credit but the discussions of things like you know rent relief in certain countries that then was done like I mean France had it for a brief amount of time um, Ireland as well where Ireland oh okay yeah cool but yeah, the the fact that that then like that that discussion like ended up like pretty upfront, I think kind of like proved a lot of what we were talking about then last episode, kind of like the theoretical basis behind the idea then of like I mean rent, rents are rents uh, that they are these things that are just you know sucking you dry for a commodity that that is pretty much just made up, and yeah. Um, and I think that we saw that in Corona, and it's really been just kind of like at the focal point of like, yeah, I don't, like like just acts, you know, uh, Berlin especially then too, just with 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 the housing uh, situation here, you know, at, like uh, uh, new homelessness that then has become much more of a problem. Seeing it then when I saw friends, you know, posting things like Keltebus, like in Berlin and whatnot, and just kind of like thinking to myself continuously of like, damn. Uh, this shit's all like I don't want to sound dumb, like damn, we live in a society, but it's just like like access and lack of housing. It just seems like such a absurd thing in the society that we live in. The only thing that I'll kind of referenced from the last time we had Tom on back in twenty nineteen uh, is is the 
very dumb, convoluted joke of Greek Gerald's that we arrived at, <laughs> uh, which was Gerald from Hey Arnold being Greek and also complimentary with your apartment. Um, I can't really remember how we got to that point, but I'm going to eat a burger now, and then when I'm done eating that burger, you better believe I'm going to be bringing up Greek Gerald again. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think uh, when it comes to this topic, I think... You know, in times of crisis, it really tends to kind of uh, draw out and show the contradictions not only between the haves and the have-nots, but between who has the power to essentially um, weather the, I would say, the pandemic, you know. So money is always kind of a shielding factor in any kind of pandemic. And on top of that, it's okay if you're able to have a stable rent situation based on a stable income situation you know you can just kind of hole up uh in your your spot and hang out for the entire duration you know you know i couldn't even go to cancun you can go to cancun yeah <laughs> um and i think this is really kind of one of the big uh, contradictions in, in the way that housing is treated at the moment because you know it is a commodity it's a financialized commodity as well um you know my favorite thing i think in the last few months or so has just been following that central immobilien ausschuss newsletter which is like the lobby the umbrella lobby organization for real estate in in, in germany at the federal level um constantly asking for uh demanding actually that the, the lockdowns be ended because they, they they understand at a deep level at some at some point that their work is is not productive and that they essentially have the trump card over everybody else so if people aren't stores are not open they can't make the money they need to kind of support their lifestyles but it's very clear that it comes off of the back of people who are system relevant and that are um essentially um working in stores essentially yeah. i uh just kind of like to to point to the beginning point a part of your of your um point that you made that was a lot of me saying point um there was an interesting article that i saw that came up i don't know if anyone else saw it that uh was in i believe it was in bloomberg of that how the like who was affected by you know corona like that's the thing that, that that's really funny coming from like a liberal paper is that they don't have like the nuance sometimes and they were talking about look at all these like you know cool people who are like you know going and doing their um their 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 home office in like belize or in like spending you know seventy thousand dollars a month to you know live in the pandemic but then like you know kind of work from home while on vacation and i think nothing stuck out to me more that point exactly than this massive class divide of like oh i'm doing home office but i'm you know chilling uh you know on the beach in like my own private resort and that became so normal for a very specific class of people so just like a little you know tidbit of of you know that we do live in in the dystopia that uh, we are told is like on the verge of happening. Like those class divides are so extreme right now. I think that we can just you know blatantly see it in 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 the pandemic, especially. Yeah, we've alluded to it already. We are talking about, or we're going to end today talking about the Deutsche Wohnen and Dagenen campaign. What you can do to help that is collecting signatures to get a referendum on the ballot for this year's elections in Germany, and I mean in the, in for those voters in Berlin. But I think we're going to spend the entire episode before that talking about how this is more than just a strictly electoral project. This is, um, I think that this campaign shows how broad this fight is and how many, I mean, how many aspects of life it, it touches and how it can serve as a vehicle for 
perhaps something more than electoralism, something uh, longer lasting. So um, I guess we should just go ahead and get into it. Uh, the the political uh, uh, interest, I should say, which is the meat and deco law. So this happened. I think it hit the news pretty quickly after our last episode. I don't remember the exact date. Um, long story short, Berlin passed a meat and deco law. Um, Tom, I'll let you explain the specifics, but I want to ask you basically what's in the law and how does it relate to the Deutsche Wohnen and Dagenen campaign? Like what aren't all the problems like done now? Uh, no. <laughs> so the meat, the meat and deckle in English, it means rent cap. Um, I think it was passed essentially in January, 2020. Um, was it, what's, no, I'm sorry. I think it was, was it July, 2019 or was it, I'm mixing up my dates. It, it came up in June or July, but it wasn't finalized until I think early 2020. Yeah. So essentially, uh, if I remember correctly, the sorry, the the July thing was that like that was the period in which they couldn't like all rent increases wouldn't count. Yeah. If it passed, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah this was like the the Stichtag, as they say in German, essentially the the retroactive day where any rent raise after this yeah. essentially would not be valid anymore. Um, so essentially, the the rent cap is. Um, essentially a moratorium on rent raises. Um, and it also sets an upper limit in terms of rent within the city as well. Um, and it does this on not only, I think mostly on a qualitative, uh, I think aspect as well. So it says essentially that, you know, if your building is built before 2014, it, it made the case to essentially exclude new builds, which I, you know, I think is, is, okay to somewhat incentivize construction though maybe it could have been a bit more recent in terms of new builds but it said okay if your building is built before 2014 there is an upper limit of i think nine euros and 80 cents for rent per square meter which works out to be something like for the average apartment i think around five or six hundred or something like this um the lower i think the lower limit is around 650 and says if you're within this area it's fine um you're able to charge rent essentially based on different factors. So when your building was built, the um, essentially what your, your building has in terms of like heating um, equipment, um, essentially where it's uh, the condition of the apartment as well, if there's been any kind of renovations lately as well. Um, so there's really kind of this, I would say this kind of this uh, spiel realm or this, this area in between that the landlords can move within. Um, and this was really seen as a radical step in the next um, in terms of regulation of rent, because nothing has been done uh, in terms of this at, at the state level in Germany before. So um, at the federal level, there is the, the rent break, which essentially says you can't raise rent more than 15 percent um, every three years, which is still outrageous if you think about it. But the, the rent cap said, OK, you know, things are so bad right now. No more rent raises. And if you're above a certain amount, you have to actively lower the rent. And this is why it's been very controversial, not only in, on landlord Twitter and uh, in the liberal press. <laughs> oh, oh, God. <laughs> um, give the audience a minute to, to recover from that, from those anybody, words. Anybody. Yeah, I've been I on and I TikTok. can't get up. I've been on landlord TikTok. It's terrifying. <laughs> if you've been on, anytime you post a meet and deck on Twitter, please use a st uh, an asterisk. <laughs> they will find you, <laughs> and they will be. In oh, there. this is like Sparta Peach <laughs> on Dutch internet. Yeah, yeah, they will find you, and they will. Uh, it'll be like Horst five six nine four will be very angry at you. Um, <laughs> so essentially, right now, uh, it's Horst been... five six nine four just not ready for my posting. Well, he just you know. <laughs> 
He's had enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, no, we've had essentially about a year of the meat and deckle now, essentially. So I think the first kind of results are coming through. But I think in general, it's really something that we can celebrate. Long term, um, I don't think it's something that's sustainable, not only just because um, is it, I wouldn't necessarily say artificial, but that there is quite a lot of power constellations against something like this. Um, and I would not essentially want to trust the political um, will to enforce something like this. So for me, um, our our saying is essentially that if you were able to take more apartments into public hand and make them nonprofit, this would be much more of a better, this would be a much better power constellation rather than having um, a law that would have to be renewed every five years, and essentially you'd be at the arbitrariness of a coalition or the political will of the governing coalition. Hmm. You met the. Uh, sorry, I just have one thing before we move away from Meet and Declan and stuff like that. Is um, and maybe Thomas would know a bit more about this. Is uh, the 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 terrifying um, rise of a thing now called Wunschmiete. Um because for anyone who doesn't know i do not know about this and it sounds horrible please elaborate yeah it's also known as chat meter or shadow rent yeah oh okay Mm. yeah yeah yeah. so it's a wish rent sounds a bit nicer than shadow rent shadow rent sounds like some Yu-Gi-Oh bullshit (laughs) 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 um the so basically any contracts that were given out or like leases that were given out during um the time of Meet and Deckle, when Meet and Deckle was being discussed, when it had been like the retroactive period happened, or even after since it's passed, is now you get a thing on your lease being like, you know, here's your warm rent, rent including bills, here's your cold rent, rent without bills, and here is the wish rent or meter of like how much we will fucking charge you if when our lobbies overturn the Meet and Deckle rule. Um, which is like, why would you? Why would you tell people that? Because <laughs> they've, um, they've. Uh, I think there was a recent report. I think may, maybe you posted this, Tom, of that. Then uh, uh, Deutsche Wohnen and uh, whatever that lovely Swedish company is called have just pretty much said Achilles. whatever the difference. Achilles, yeah. Whatever that difference is of after the meat deck, you have to pay back. Mm. Yep. <laughs> which is the most insane thing I've ever heard of. And then I was just like, well, in this country, that like weirdly makes sense because Germany just loves this, this, yeah, just loves punishing people for existing, it seems like. I love the concept that fucking landlord Twitter is just going to uh, collapse the economy overnight of just like calling in, I don't know, like, like I've seen people get like 300 euro reductions on their rent and then like okay let's give them 2 years like 24 times 300 just being asked for overnight fucking hell <laughs> Yeah I mean I think uh this is one of the kind of the sad parts of it I mean essentially it really proves my I mean it's not really my thesis I mean it's any kind of housing activist or scholar's thesis that you know landlords will literally do anything to to make the most oh, yeah. most amount of money possible um instead of get but, a fucking job <laughs> except that but um the the sad thing there I think is in general like not only is it really nefarious on the side of the landlords but I think it's also 
um, not entirely legal. I mean, uh, recently in Pankow, there was some, somebody in the left party at, at the, in the, I think at the, I think it was probably in the, in the parliament or something. They had a new, uh, essentially decision where they said this is illegal and you can't actually have this in the contract. I think Achilles said this, they said this to Achilles essentially. Um, so I mean, imagine, yeah. imagine this in the U S it would be essentially being like, if you had a work contract and your employer said, you know, we're going to pay you the minimum wage, but if tomorrow the Supreme court decides <laughs> that the minimum wage is half that, that's what you really should be paid and you'll owe us money. <laughs> actually. The U S would totally yeah. do that though. So you like, you're making a scenario that could totally exist in, the u.s but i love the yeah. i love the implication which again is like a capitalist logic which is like laws are really like a quantum state you don't really know what's going to be the law today so it's really what yeah. we decide that's more constant than than yeah political but like the re- but the reverse doesn't exist so like when i got my lease for my apartment there was no like i don't know Hassan meter of just like, and here's what we'll fucking charge you if those fucking socialists get their way. God damn it! Like that wasn't in the lease of like what my rent would be lowered to. Um, I like. I, I so hope yeah. in the, the Vuvuzela uh, clause. Yeah, my Vuvuzela meter. They should spell out everything they will do to you. It's like if you try to stay in your apartment because you can't afford the rent one month, we will have a SWAT team kick down your door. And like next bullet point, yeah. it's like we can have one or maybe even two helicopters outside <laughs> flashing yeah. lights yeah it's the, and, th- and the all these people all these people look like a <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> i know you have to imagine that all these people sound look like david getta but sound like the swedish chef uh, like that's an important <laughs> part of all of this um yeah the other the other thing that was very similar to this was like my own reduction letter as well as like i know other people's reduction letters because i'm with one of these big companies they're kind of like boilerplate letters all just kind of ended after telling me like what my new rent would be all ended with, but don't worry, we're fighting this every step of the way. And I'm like, again, why would you tell me this? Uh, I want to come back to uh, the the big business and actually the legal situation, but I want to talk about the people who uh, should be quote unquote fighting on our side. And that is the politicians. So I think it goes without saying um, that the, Parties against the Mietendeko were the CDU, the FDP, who seemed to really be taking it to heart, and the AfD. Um, and the bill was passed by the Red-Red-Green coalition, which is the governing coalition of Berlin, which is the SPD, the Greens, and Die Linke. Now, in this coalition, there seems to be a range of opinions on what exactly the Mietendeko is and what uh, expropriation would be. Um, some see this as a step on the path to expropriation and some think well that's that's a that that'll about do it so <laughs> i think um maybe we should start with the spd because they i think there's probably the most to say here they are the biggest party in the coalition and they have some some strong opinions about expropriation uh tom take it away <laughs> uh, I mean, essentially, the the SPD see expropriation as not productive. So their their main argument is that um, not only could it cause kind of a knock on effect of private real estate actors expecting this as kind of an exit strategy and saying, um, you know, if worse goes to worse, the city will just expropriate expropriate us and pay uh, market rates. Um, on top of that, they they see it as kind of a 
anti-investor climate as well, which um, this is something we can talk about later, but the SPD has begun to swing very far right in the past few months. It has a lot to do with their... Their new, no. their new two top, their double candidates essentially. So Giffy and Sale. Um, Giffy was, uh, I think she was the the Bundes Minister for Familia, and I think it's like Education and Family or something like this. Um, it's interesting how I, I love, I really enjoy how the SPD really kind of parachutes people in for these uh, these roles. <laughs> They're just kind of like, oh, your next step can be mayor of Berlin, essentially, and your 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 uh, ladder to. To cancellor if that ever happens um essentially they they are taking a very kind of middle ground triangulation triangulation strategy which is you know kind of par for course for social democrats in the nowadays um in terms of antagonism i think they uh the current mayor probably said it best you know um they had their partai talk or their congress um where they voted on it in 2019 uh and mikhail muller essentially said you know when um, Rutsby Tahiri, who is one of our um, our campaigners, you know, announces the class war. We stand up and we say that's not our way. So, you know, I think that really kind of <laughs> summarizes what kind of politics. Michael Miller loves <laughs> just like putting his foot in his mouth all the time. That's just his like his go to thing is just saying stupid shit that he thinks is like good one liners. I love it. I I love him. We definitely talked about his. Um... His other comments about where he equated where he equated it to anti-Semitism. Yeah, we totally yeah, did talk about we it. We definitely <laughs> did that. Yeah, uh, maybe we've had a lot of new listeners since then. Maybe someone wants to give us a reminder of what Mihal Muli said. Well, I think this is probably one of the early things that they said, where they were just kind of trying to test the water in terms of focus group messaging. Um, but... <laughs> What's a better way in Germany is... to do that? <laughs> That is definitely. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Thomas. That is Tom. That is a hundred percent Miha Muda's purpose. Yeah, you know, exactly. He is, he is like he's the he's the throw the spaghetti at the wall SPD. Captain. Was this a headline somewhere? No. Did it cause a shitstorm? No. Then okay, maybe we'll just kind of forget about it. But essentially, you know, he made the argument that because there could be uh, Jewish landlords in Israel that would be expropriated, it would be anti-Semitic. Um, which essentially kind of dooms any kind of anti anti capitalism anti capitalism criticism because it says okay you know um, <laughs> forget about class dynamics or anything you know it's all about where you come from that really matters essentially. Um, yeah, Michael Müller, the, the the true anti Deutsch, you know, mayor of Berlin. <laughs> um, what, what we're talking about, uh, I think the SPD has refined their message a little bit. I have a quote here from the the data <laughs> yeah, that of, of that Partei talk. <laughs> um, from the very there Franziska Giffey, um, Miss Giffey, who uh, back then was not, I, I think. At the moment, she was in the running to be the mayoral candidate. Anyway, she was not yet the candidate. She's and she's mayor of 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 Neukölln, isn't she? Or she was? She used to be. Yeah. yeah. At this, she yeah. was just a, she's just a, a regular representative. Anyway, her my quote, former my, my former mayor. You know, uh, gotta show respect. Yeah. Uh, at that Partei talk, where it was voted down one hundred thirty-seven to ninety-seven votes, her quote said, "I don't want this to be like." a message sent from Berlin to the rest of Germany. For me, a modern city is one that is for innovation, not expropriation. This is really telling because this is that, this is the thing I think a lot of people, um, you know, the SPD kind of playing the we're not radical sort of thing. 
of this weird hope that Berlin is still a um like tech city that's never gonna happen. Like I don't know if anyone knows, but like they're trying to like turn Tegel into like a like literally called Tech Republic. Um the thing that I really <laughs> no, what? Yeah. Yeah, there's like the, the explain the, the to me what is a republic about that. <laughs> I don't know, but the no, stop, they're, they're, the they're going to do that thing they did in Utah, where they give them like the ability to like collect taxes we, and shit. All right, guys, we have to follow the order on the notes. We're talking about the new Tesla plant in Brandenburg later in the episode. Stop jumping around. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Edit it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but the but the thing is, is that is that Berlin is still trying to grab. I think actually, very weirdly enough, I'm never going to agree with Peter Thiel on anything else on this show ever again. But when Peter Thiel was asked, I think like five years ago, if Berlin is like the next tech hub, and he said no, and he was very explicit about that. Corporate tax in Germany is just simply too high. That it it won't keep tech in the city, you know, it just it just won't exist. They'll go to like Estonia or wherever the hell else, or like you know Malta, maybe who knows. But it's really funny because that, like, at least that's what I read from her answer on that is that there's this weird hope still amongst a specific class of people in Germany or in Berlin at least that Berlin is going to become the Silicon Valley thing. And yes, like I said, Tegel is. Uh, the stop is now called like like City Tech Republic or something like that. They're really trying their yeah. absolute, like they're giving like the like last hurrah to make Berlin into a startup city that it, like it can't become because startups don't yeah. like German uh, corporate tax law, which is like kind of well, good they- for us in that sense. I would say. I, I can I can say two things about that because I unfortunately in this space, um, like yeah, people people try to make like. Uh, they really try to make Silicon Alley like a thing, um, but like it, it's it's not really. But like, there's also like this weird assumption that like tech people in Berlin would not be left leaning because my impression so far is they run the range of greens to Delinka unless they're in fintech, in which case they're all psychos. But like, yeah, then, they're all, uh, then they're all FTP voters, yeah. Yeah, then they're all FTP voters, yeah. They're, they are, it's just, yeah. Um, like, Kristen Lindner, like, probably made N26 in, like, in a, in a dream. Um, but like... <laughs> well, I used to work there, so... <laughs> I can give yeah. you some stories, but anyways. <laughs> yeah, so let's not do that. Um, bonus content. The <laughs> bonus, bonus, definitely uh, behind the paywall. Behind the paywall. Um, yeah, it, it, it's this very strange thing of like German is also just like way too diffuse because even though Berlin is trying to do this, so is Hamburg. Like, so is like like any other major city in this in in this fucking country because there's too many. I think my early hypothesis of it was just that there was a Berlin discount and this was something that was known for a very very long time that rents are cheap so you can afford to pay your workers less. Yeah. And that's changing. So I mean it's like the SPD is really shooting themselves in the foot if they're like okay um <laughs> Uh, we don't really get. Uh, wer hat uns verraten? <laughs> is that a uh, lovely old German saying from uh, you know the German Civil War or the German Revolution, whatever you want to call it? Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, my my problem with that is essentially that, of course, salaries have not kept up, but you're still getting these rich kind of in movers that are coming to work for these 
these companies that are scaling up essentially. So, you know, they're, Shfabians. I think um, in terms of the startups, there is all kinds of class dynamics that are mirrored in, inside these companies. So, you know, it, it's really like everything is kind of like a, a reproduction of dependency theory within different structures. So you have the, the people in customer service who are all very left leaning up to like the very low product managers. And when you get up to the mid, mid management C-level, you know, they all have their own apartments. So it doesn't matter. So, you know, you might be able to convince yeah. them to feel a bit moralistic about the situation, which I have done in the past. But uh, that kind of ends at a certain point where the financial interests start to be threatened. Speaking of that, um, the Greens. So as I understand it, that they are a little split on this issue. They're not as bad as the SPD. There's some like about everything like, in their party currently. Like, <laughs> it yeah. seems like some it seems like uh, the leadership is kind of closer to the SPD, meet and deco's good, stop this expropriation talk, whereas more of the voters are leaning closer to the expropriation, the Deutsche Wohnen and Eignen movement. Uh, would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it it was really what happened on their, their party congress two, uh, about two years ago, where they essentially the voters of the people in the party voted, you know, I think significantly over the majority for expropriation, but all of the people in the leader leadership positions were somewhat hesitant to give full throated uh, endorsements of it. Um, and they've tried again to kind of, I think, you know, straddle the gap between there. So we had some talks with them recently um, and they've essentially, and unfortunately been playing kind of the same tune since then that um, there's not enough qualitative criteria for expropriation, um, which is interesting because there's a legal argument behind expropriation that's kind of anchored in the German constitution. There is no, there isn't really much of a qualitative criteria for it in the German constitution. So it's interesting that they're arguing this, but they're saying that we, with the quantitative number of 3000 apartments are not actually distinguishing between good landlords and bad landlords as if that's possible, but yeah. Um, anything you want to say about Die Linke? As I understand it, they've been behind the Deutsche Wohnen und Dagnen campaign. I mean, adding support, I mean. Um, is there anything that, anything else about like the political situation or like what we should take, maybe a sign we should take from the political discussions? I mean, just what I want to add is like, maybe this is obvious to everybody, but like you can shift the political terrain with yourself. You know, maybe, you, maybe we forget that sometimes, but like you can scare the Greens and SPD into doing stuff that helps you. <laughs> maybe you can do it again. Uh, sorry, but yeah, is there anything you wanted to add about D-Link or anything else? I mean, I think it's kind of, uh, I mean, it's probably not cliche to say this, but I think that D-Link generally has the their ear closest to kind of like the pulse on the street movements, essentially. Um, they're always very quick to take over kind of demands from, from grassroots movements, which I think is really great. Um, I think sometimes there's a danger of them taking it a bit too far and seeing as um, making something that's their own that really came from kind of the streets. And I mm -hmm. think the, the danger there is somewhat of kind of disillusionment when it comes to people that are on the streets. But of course you have to have these parties in the parliament that are actually able to uh, appear there and make the case for stuff like this but i think i mean it was interesting when they had the europa vol or the european elections where they they had a, a poster with our campaign on it and it was just like okay how what does that have to do with <laughs> european elections uh don't get me wrong i think they are they're they are part of the coalition you know they're one of our partners you know they are very active and they will be very active in collecting signatures as well um i think in general though uh 
it's great to have this, but I think, um, you know, they really wouldn't have this if it wasn't for the support in the streets and the actual grassroots uh, infrastructure that was already there, essentially. Yeah. On just one quick note, I know that, you know, going back to the Greens is is my favorite topic currently in Germany right now. But I've noticed in these, like, social um, debates, if you will, that this has been something I've noticed from friends of mine and, you know, people that I know. And, for example, asking my flatmate, who uh, uh, used to be a green voter, I guess. Um, things like this are the things that once people, I think, are realizing what the Greens either stand for or are split amongst themselves with are... Um, Something that the, at least amongst younger people who I know um, is something that then that's really been kind of like the like one of the major aspects that they've kind of been losing faith in this party that they just kind of like voted because they wanted green politics. And I never really like maybe it's just generational, like maybe it's just in the sense too of like informed voters and this and that and that. But um, I think that the general misconception of the greens automatically being a left-wing party is like slowly melting away the bigger the greens get and that we're seeing the greens on this national level have this massive identity crisis that no one's really addressing in germany i mean we do like don't you know don't want to toot our own horn but i feel that then like in a lot of german media no one's hard enough on the greens with how internally like i think anything. that i i well yeah first on anything and two i think that, that that's the perfect point that then like in berlin the greens are split on it because the greens in berlin are quite left-wing but i uh um yeah i just i find that very interesting in the sense that this could be an issue like and like like you know housing just in general not even enteignung but housing especially amongst younger people who live in the city who would have typically voted green because of just the assumption um could be something that then that either radicalizes them in politics or, you know, gets them, in, not even radicalizing, that's like, you know, too many steps forward, but getting them involved and realizing that then that like this party that then that is just kind of accepted as this progressive entity in Germany without any question is actually coming into question the first time in their very long career because they're actually very much on the cusp of becoming a uh, like national leader not even that that they're just like a big party they could end up in a coalition in like four different ways right now well i think uh i mean i, w- I would add one thing to that i think um, go for it there is a bit of a short memory at least when it comes to the younger generations so there was the greens were in a coalition with the spd in the early 2000s yeah gerhard Schroeder. so they were they only also- had like but they they were the smallest part of that and they weren't very like like I mean, I don't get me wrong. Yes, the Greens in the Schroeder coalition were shit in their own, you know, way. But I think that they were small enough still to kind of like fly under the radar, you know. Yeah, and we didn't like, really could... know about climate change, you know. Now it's like, oh, we got to do something <laughs> green. <laughs> they hadn't watched the final episode of Jim Henson's Dinosaurs, the sitcom <laughs> where everyone's a dinosaur, where it talks about climate change. Yeah, an inconvenient truth hadn't come out, man. <laughs> yeah. It's different. Um, I just had like one thing to kind of talk about, uh, which connects, I think, uh, both Nick's point and and Rob's uh, discussion of like just the various parties and what they're standing on, and like how this is an issue for them. Nick is a hundred percent right that the Greens are 
definitely not nationally united behind a message because the Greens here in Berlin are more left wing. Um, but like, I spent Baden-Württemberg, baby. I Let's spent the weekend wild. in the in the green Baden-Württemberg uh, fucking manifesto, and Jesus Christ. Um, but in general, it's also interesting that like because we're we're running up now to two state elections in Berlin, in Germany, um, Baden-Württemberg, and some place that's not incestuous enough to be Saarland. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> kind of should you do but, a podcast about like European politics? Yeah, I'll do. Let the, him I'll, do I'll, his I'll bit. Let him do his right bit. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, the 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 thing is that like this whole like meet and decal is in like every party's manifesto. Like it has really driven the conversation nationally, um, which leads to some very like patronizing ass posturing from like parties like spd greens and the and volt these kind of like vague links like vague left kind of parties of um a lot of like i saw the same comment come up up and again is like that might be well and good for berliners but us here in baden-württemberg we think rent situation is fine and we definitely don't need to be doing any of this expropriation or even a meet and decal they're probably not wrong though you know because no one's fucking moving to baden-württemberg so you're not having the like you know rent skyrocket within a couple year period like yeah doesn't mean that it shouldn't exist though you know before the Beeson Deckel, I believe Berlin was the fastest growing rents in anywhere in Europe. Not the highest, but certainly the fastest growing. Number one, baby. At least for property, I think rent as well, but for property values, it was like in the world the worst, actually. So it was like right. 20% per year, something like this. Worst, best, Fuck. it's all a, it's all, you know, perspective. Best being shit. Best. <laughs> Best return for my Easter renter, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but basically, but it, you can go finish, Kieran. No, I was just saying that it's pretty cool to see that, like, this stuff that when I first arrived in this country seemed like very local, like, Berlin politics. Um, still largest city in Germany or whatever, but, like, is, like, actually having an impact in both like Baden-Württemberg and Rhineland-Pfalz um Rhineland-Pfalz seems like they don't they they're not even trying to like dissuade the message but like I think there are people on the ground in Baden-Württemberg they're like yeah maybe this is cool because Die Linke in Baden-Württemberg is supporting it I can't imagine Stuttgart is necessarily super affordable to people who want to live in Stuttgart there's a huge uh, Daimler factory in Stuttgart but uh I'm sure they're not yeah, doing so great with the rent. But I think, um, I mean, I think this is an interesting point because, you know, in general, um, this is something that goes into kind of the importance of these, these these battles, and at least when it comes to, like, legislative and electoral wins as well, because it kind of opens the door for what is possible at other local levels as well. So, you know, I think it, it's really great to have Berlin as kind of a lodestar for the rest of, of uh, the the country as well, because it says, you know, if you're if you're able to have a, a, a broad coalition or people on the ground to to force through stuff like this, you know, anything is possible, you know. It's really kind of this like real existing, I hate to say, you know, socialism, but <laughs> it's it's something that has been seen as a success and is working. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's also something too, I mean, very much to give credit to Germans as as 
maybe not Germans, but Germany, is that the thing that I think people do get the most involved with in this country are um, local local politic. Like I've never seen a group of people get so like involved in that since I moved to Berlin. Maybe it's a Berlin thing, maybe it's a Germany thing, but I think it's overwhelmingly like a Germany thing. And something like this movement, like the, you know, uh, uh, the Enteignung, Mietdeckel, all that. Um, yeah, okay, starting, you know, in the metropolitan city that then Berlin is, you know, people sometimes have a problem with that. I don't really care. But the fact that this has then now been implemented uh, within local politics all over Berlin, I would assume that then that means that then the people in other states are then also probably taking this question much more seriously than right because germans right. have a somewhat uh uh they care more about what's happening within their own city i would say than a lot, like at least from my experience within the united states of you know where i've lived and whatnot yeah i i agree i mean I, i've just been trying to like deutsche von kontagnung has just been like uh big kind of eye-opener for me and just like i constantly tell any remotely left irish friend about it because ireland's rent situation is particularly fucked but it is just like look look what they're doing do this back home please do it (laughs) i mean we're we're three americans and uh someone from ireland all who live in berlin but like there is a little embarrassing childlike wonder being like, oh, you can actually do things with politics if you get enough people. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so, and I mean, you, you nailed I it. I feel Tom, so stupid here. <laughs> it's not like, yeah, there's like hostile parties. There's like supporting parties. There's even something like, but like, that's not, that that is not, they are the, the mountains, not the tectonic plates shifting underneath it all. And like, when you realize that there's like, you can actually like, um, that there's something going on underneath the surface, it's a very good feeling. And I mean, Deutsche Wohnen uh, und Co. and Eignen is part of it, but there's housing organizations, there's people being uh, organized in, in tons of different groups before the Deutsche Wohnen und Eignen campaign that have like fed into like a lot of the, this moment that we're in now. So yeah, yeah. it just, just yeah. feels good. <laughs> For sure. I mean, I think, I know I make this this point in, in the article that I wrote that essentially, you know, we're really the product of a huge year-long, decade-long struggle for affordable rent and a livable city. You know, Berlin for the longest time was seen as kind of a refuge, not only um, in West Germany, but I would also say across the world, essentially it was this kind of showpiece at at the, the center of this ideological battle between East and West. So, you know, Berlin had a lot of subsidies, um, they had a lot of social housing for years and years and years. Also, the population went down, so it was affordable. But at the same time, um, you know, it was the city where you could have a good life uh, and you didn't need to make a lot of money. And because of that, this kind of radical um, politics really gave birth to itself because you didn't have to work, you know, Singapore, London hours in finance or something to get by. You could really, mm. you know, get by doing something that's really late in the production. So I think Berlin was actually, they were, they had some like industrial stuff in the West that essentially was at the end of the productive line. So they were putting together stuff, but all the big companies left Berlin. So essentially if you were working there, you weren't making a lot of money, but they, people were able to have this life where they could afford to live there. Um, but also experiment in communal politics, experiment in different ownership um, situations as well. You know, Berlin has over 200,000 apartments that are 
co-ops, so Genossenschaft. And so, you know, it's material basis for things that isn't necessarily possible in other cities because there's it's been financialized for decades. Um, but Berlin, you know, it has this built-in resistance like automatically to it because people have been living away from this financial logic for decades, essentially. Uh, I want to take that moment to transition a little bit. I want to come back to the legal and, you know, how scared the, the, the big housing companies are. But the other big thing, I don't know if it's if it's the biggest thing, but it's certainly a, a, something that happened in the news, uh, other in housing news, other than Meet and Deku, which is uh, the eviction of squats, of community bars, mm-hmm. of these kinds of, um, yeah, solidarity locations. Um, the biggest is probably the Liebig... 34 squat um, but tom i know you wrote about zindikat the um in neukölln and this happened i think uh, liebig was in october of last year and zindikat in august of last year and so i just feel like these cases illustrate exactly the point you're saying where you have both of them are legacy i believe of the 90s in in berlin right exactly what you're talking about this like political um yeah uh this this political culture of berlin that from one point of view, people might crystallize as just that cultural thing of like, oh, it's about, uh, uh, I don't know, being, it's about living in a, in a squad and being a punk or something. When it's like, well, it's about like a right to <laughs> like self, uh, like agency and control over your housing situation. And I, I feel like it's certainly not a coincidence that the intensification that rents, I mean, we didn't even say it at the beginning, but there's one report that the, like the, well, there's a meat and deco, but like the the, um, and I gotta I gotta quote it exactly. So I just feel like there's certainly a confluence here where we have, um, hmm. you know, the threat of rising rents in Berlin, and we have a crackdown, more evictions of these, um, I would say certainly icons of the city, at a moment where there is a renewed movement for the right to housing and right to the city. Um, so, yeah, Tom, you wrote about Zindikat. So anything you want to say on that, take it away. So I think um, well, what you're seeing essentially is the increased financialization of space in the city. So essentially this idea that, you know, I think Raquel Rolnick writes about this. She used to be the former UN repertoire on housing of the, the corporate square in the city. So this idea that every single square meter can be quantified into its base unit uh, defined by euro and profitability. So uh, it's interesting in at least the syndicate situation, you have a absentee landlord who is essentially peers global. Um, and they had this great research done by uh, a co- corrective, I think is the collective is this uh, research co- uh, collective essentially. And they found out that essentially, you know, peers global, who's they're a famous real estate um, company in the UK. They also own the land that the British embassy is on in, in Berlin. <laughs> um, they had essentially bought the house um, and all of the apartments inside of it. Um, and essentially they they kicked out syndicate um, without being willing to negotiate to extend their lease, essentially. Syndicate went through this whole entire um, you know maze of uh, trying to find out who their actual landlord was. They couldn't reach them, essentially. So they found out essentially through um, uh, briefcast and Ferma, which is essentially these kind of like corporate uh, 
PO boxes in Luxembourg that, uh, that essentially was oh, some guy in Denmark who was then essentially a Pierce Global company, essentially. And then they went to London and, and they protested there. But it, it really it really shows how easy it is to essentially for foreign capital to come into these spaces, not only foreign capital, but um, just well, money in general, essentially, and capital can come into the city and quickly buy up these spaces and flip them. Um, and this is where you're having this kind of, um, I think, this huge conflict where it, the the, glo- the global comes into contrast with the local situation. And this is where it's showing really one of the big um, contradictions in the financialization of housing that, you know, capital searches for a way, as David Harvey says, to extend kind of the geopolitical creep of itself um, by creating this corporate floor that's this single unit of rent, essentially. But this doesn't work at the local level because this is a bar that's owned by people. It's, it's a different it's a different model of ownership. So Syndicat was a, um, a collective co- cooperatively owned by a group of people. Um, it's a neighborhood spot where people would come together. Um, they were really important for the beginning of the Tempelhof referendum. Um, people met there early to... Um, discuss actions to come together and have signature drives as well. Um, And it really shows, you know, like how deep this penetration is getting into these neighborhoods because um, it shows that these are all really uh, vulnerable at the moment. So it's not necessarily the fact that um, the campaign itself has caused these spaces to become financialized. I think it's really, it's happening at the same time because the situation is so dire. You know, it's like from the, one day to the next, you really could be faced with the, the entire annihilation of your livelihood and your your own reproductive, your own social reproduction and the reproduction of your own lifestyle. You know, it's not it's not really like I would say um, a coincidence that if you look at where gentrification happens, it destroys local businesses, destroys um, collectives like this. It replaces them with known things, you know, like Starbucks, like chains uh ikea whatever because this is a known commodity so not only you know raquel rolnick also makes this argument in their book that like the the corporate floor also destroys livelihoods because it searches for the maximum return on something that it knows essentially so this is really what we're facing i think in berlin as well because it's really a question of what the future is will we have these spaces where people are able to um, experiment with alternative lifestyles to not always have to give in to um, the profit motive behind uh, working at a, I don't know, some crappy fintech or whatever, you know? Yes, drag fintech. Drag their asses. <laughs> yeah, that that is uh, uh, upsetting. Um <laughs> But also, I just want—I just want to say—I just want to say the point of like people who have come at us from the left being like, "Why are you talking about Europe? Are you pro EU?" It's like, no, no, we're not, because a cool place in Berlin was bought up by some fucking Dut- like Danish asshole, and like who obfuscated it as well, and they had to go Who's protest doing, it. Kieran, in you're making up people who hate our show. <laughs> No, there, no, there are people who stop it. I'll tell you who it is afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> No one hates our show. You're right. I mean, it's, but like, it's the it, rule it, it 34 is... of like leftist Twitter. You know, if you can think of it, there's somebody out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. I uh, the reason that we take. do eat the EU is because of we 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 live here. Yeah, I guess that's. But it's still like it is. It is a great example of how fucking interconnected this is. 
and of course, I hate it. Yeah. yeah. That's Actually, if, I, if you I, don't talk about something, it, it will go away. <laughs> <laughs> so if I never talk about the EU again, it just disappears? Cool. Yep. All right. Uh, done. It's like Santa Claus. If you don't believe in it, they, they lose all their power. <laughs> This is a pro- this is just a uh, like I'm only going to talk about um everything outside of the European Union then. Let's go baby. This is a Croatia podcast. Croatia's in the EU. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. fine. Serbia podcast then. <laughs> yeah, Serbia podcast. Let's go. <laughs> this is a Kosovo podcast, all right? Serbia doesn't exist anymore. You can never <laughs> enter Serbia now. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't planning on it anytime <laughs> soon, but so Tom, you mentioned the um, the protests around the uh, around Tempelhof of Fed. Are there any like movements that you want to that that we should discuss in particular? Because there was a movement in Kreuzberg to um, about a, a Google office coming in there and you know, um, ways to combat gentrification. Uh, this is something that's been going on in Berlin for quite a few years. I mentioned already the Elon Musk situation with the factory in Brandenburg. Um, I don't know if anyone has anything to say about any of those topics, please be my guest. Well, I know I can at least mention Berlin versus Amazon, which I think is a really great initiative. Mm. So this is something being put together by the Tech Workers Coalition, um, and I think they're great. Uh, this is a nice a nice struggle, just I think in general, to talk about like what the you know, what the dynamic of Berlin is and what we think the future should be, you know. I mean, it's, it's, we're talking earlier about how the SPD and also large parts of the Greens are really swinging towards this kind of Wirtschaft uh, forum argument or this, this economic argument where they're looking for jobs. But, you know, the real argument should be like, what, what kind of jobs are these? And like, why would we want to invite somebody who's ultimately extremely hostile to the city and its development like into the heart of the city you know they want to build this huge massive tower in Friedrichshain right next to the east side mall which is this monstrosity but um <clears throat> i think having what could these, go wrong <laughs> what could go wrong having <laughs> having these struggles really shows that the people in the city and not it's not just the the native berliners but also the people that moved here you know they came here for a reason or they've lived here for a reason because they know um, they know what the lifestyle is like. I know I'm clearly like widely generalizing. There's a lot of people that struggle in Berlin that, that probably don't like the city. You know, there's tons, there's a lot of homeless people. But, you know, in general, I think there is a lifestyle in Berlin that is worth defending. You know, it's a normative, it's a normative thing. So this is also why I get very alarmed when you read in the SPD Partei program or the party program that they, they put themselves on the side of the law and not the anarchists that were protesting Liebisch, Fear and Weissisch or whatever. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, this is like... This is one of the ways where you can slow down kind of the spatial creep of capital and the this kind of tech takeover of the city where, you know, the local comes into contrast at this huge, um, this huge, like, uh, I would say, uh, battle between the local and the global capital that is Amazon, that is Tesla, you know. You can essentially quantify any space, but the people around it are what make the space special. So if you have this huge rebellious scene, you know, it's at the end of the day, it just might not be worth it for these horrible, toxic investors to come into the city and buy it up because you make it that much difficult for them. And that's why this is so important. I think what, um, like the way I think about it and the reason I talked about like the, the like punk culture at, at the beginning of this little segment is that like, 
it's a classic case of like reversing the flow of like the cultural and the political, right? Like people just assume, oh yeah, like uh, the reason that techno was so big is because well, they must have just had some creative people here, you know, had some had some had some people thinking outside the box. When it's like what like what you want to keep isn't even necessarily like a certain cultural template. It's the right to like your own self-expression and like what you know, exactly people. Uh, I mean, a lot of people who move here, a lot of people who think of Berlin try to think about and it's not like there's it's impossible to turn back the clock i'm sorry if this uh hurts anyone's feelings the 90s aren't coming back but the no the 2020s will be like the hope is that you have the like political infrastructure and the political organization to create you know your own 90s it doesn't have to be the 90s but it will feel like oh okay like, good you, karen and i can <laughs> still make our our, our new metal band Excellent. It will be beautiful. <laughs> it will attract. Yeah. Uh, it will attract people all around the world coming to your the site of where the new new metal was created in Berlin. If Hell we have yeah. the right, if we have stable housing, and can live a good life and express ourselves here, I believe it. Is, we'll we'll, we'll cl- the moment where new we'll new metal comes with- back. <laughs> <laughs> there is the new metal is coming back. Me and me and Nick it are going to make a band. And we're going to collab with. I know, but we're we're doing it here. We're doing Berlin style. We're going to collab with Tom so we can recreate <laughs> System of Down's prison song, but with like rent statistics in the city of Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working on my growl. All right. I was a metalhead back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, uh, this is like a little unknown fact about me. All right. Uh, for for all yeah. of the Spati listeners out there in, in, in the world. All right. So I think people who like follow me on like Twitter or on Instagram know that then like I very much like death metal. And um, I used to record the demos for bands I was in and I would have to record the vocals, which then meant that I got very good at uh, um, doing... Uh, death metal vocals. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so well, you know what are you it gonna is. Do some for us. So You're just gonna bring it no. up now and, and no, 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 no. Absolutely not. No. This is uh, this is table. like when people tell yeah. us like, oh, I have a really good story, and then they just don't. They just don't tell it. No, I can. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna like. It's it's embarrassing. It genuinely like. If I was 16, I would have thought it was like the coolest shit in the face of the earth. Now, you know, 28 years old, I think doing death metal vocals is not cool at all. We will make it cool again <laughs> by myself. by taking back the right to yeah. the city, Nick. Don't worry. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We're making we're making the 90s. I feel like Berlin is a city that's willing to like make mini discs the normal way of like sharing music i think we can do that don't say feels that. like a mini disc kind of city i hate this <laughs> no <laughs> mini discs yeah for anyone um, looking for a death metal vocalist or <laughs> just kidding <laughs> uh tom i wanted to ask you about something we skipped earlier which is the legal situation so i know there's a lot of argument back and forth over whether you mentioned it already that there's a um a clause in i believe the berlin constitution about uh, expropriation what is the legal argument back and forth i know that the red red green coalition is waiting on a judgment from the like federal court about the meat and deco law and i think that's supposed to come this summer um like what's the legal overview here what could could this all <laughs> be for not do you mean uh, the meat and deco or do you mean expropriation well i sorry it was a two-part question so <laughs> uh if you could answer both parts in turn <laughs> that would be ideal yeah sure so um the at least 
so first with the meat and deckel, I mean, this is also an argument that we make sometimes that, you know, it's because of the the ju- judicial kind of uh, uncertainty behind it that it might not come out to our favor. Um, expropriation might be the better long-term solution, but essentially the argument is a, a federal competency versus state competency argument. So the argument is that because mm-hmm. the meat price bremso or the rent break essentially exists at the federal level, that Berlin does not have the competency at the state level to uh, enact its own regulations. So German federalism is a bit different than American federalism because there is a clause in the German uh, constitution, I think it's Article 72 or 75 or something, it essentially says there is like a, a Sperrwerkung or like a block. Be, the, if if something is managed at the federal level, then you can't complement it or build on it at the state level, essentially. Um, and the argument on the other side then is that um, because the – this is wildly complicated. You don't really know the details, but it's a, it's a very like uh, judicial argument. Um, Essentially, that because the meat price bremse or the rent break is actually all about controlling private law contract, so like the amount of like how much the rent can go up, um, versus the meat and deckle, the rent cap is controlling it at a public level, saying like this is the price essentially that you can charge. These are two different legal um, fields essentially, so that they are not competing with each other essentially. So you can have them at the same time. But then what about the the legal basis for expropriation? Like, what's the argument against it? Because we have a very scared big business community. And, and uh, <laughs> what are they going to invoke to try to, um, yeah, erase all of this? So there, there's a lot of debate about... Um, the article in the constitution that allows for um, socialization. So there are two articles, not socialization versus expropriation. There are two articles in the German constitution that allow for both, and they're separate articles. So article 14 essentially is the property guarantee in the, the German constitution that says you have a guarantee to your property. It also says that your property, um, property verpflichtet, essentially that it, it comes with responsibility. Um, and there's, I think in our, in, 14.2 or like the, the second subsets of the article four, 14 essentially says that you can be expropriated if it serves um, essentially the common good. Um, and based on that, they have rules on compensation that says it has to um, essentially be um, at market value to give you a, a proper compensation. Um, the argument there is that. Um, Article 15 essentially is after Article 14. So Article 15 says that you're able to socialize parts of the economy, um, which was essentially the social the socialist clause in, in the new the new mm-hmm. uh, constitution, essentially. This is something actually the SPD was arguing very heavily for in 1949 when they said, OK, we're not so sure if this whole capitalism thing is going to work out because of Nazis. Um, <laughs> we need a clause in one of, the, okay. one of the articles that allows us to essentially like directly intervene in uh, a sector of the economy. And that's this was kind of like a very smart judicial um, idea on our part, I would say, to say that, you know, Article 15, it's never been used before. We're going to use this to say we expropriate all apartments over 3,000, apartment owners that have 3,000 apartments or more. So the, the two arguments are, are essentially saying that um, 
because Article 14 comes before Article 15, that Article 15 essentially depends on Article 14 in terms of the compensation. So um, that means essentially a lot of people are making the argument that the socialization has to serve the common good. Um and that there, ha- there essentially can't be any other options or something. So a lot of the time when somebody expropriates like a road or a farm or something to build a train or something, you know, it serves the common good. Um, and this is why it's okay. But the idea that you would expropriate corporations when you could just build new housing to help people, um, they see that as, as unconstitutional, that it's not actually matching this this uh, common good principle as well where we're actually saying that article 15 is its own article and that it actually you don't need to have this common good clause essentially there is no justification for that you can actually just say you know we as the people decide to socialize um, a sector of, of the economy in this case it would be the landlords with three thousand apartments or more so there is this this big disagreement between whether this is okay because it doesn't serve the common good. And the argument there would then be at the Supreme Court, whether, you know, if we had exhausted all their options, including building new housing, building social housing um, before this, essentially, which is kind of wild, because if you think about it at, at the at the local level, you know, you can make this argument for every single uh, expropriation of a, of a farmer to build a, a train track, you know, it's like, just don't build a train, have somebody fly, <laughs> take a taxi. I don't know. You know, it, it's kind of absurd to think of it that way where you get down into the granular level there and say, okay, actually, if you argue, if you argue for this, then really nothing communal would be possible in terms of infrastructure or, or common held land, essentially. Which I think this is what they want, actually, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we said already that, that the political parties themselves are really like, they can be that is the supposed to be the expression of the popular will and like laws too they're interpreted in different ways based on the popular will and so like i mean i just think it's important to uh emphasize that like if the power like to you know realize the kind of city and politics we want is out there if you know we can we can grasp for it um I am wondering if the SPD will just say, yeah, we take that back, takesy-backsies. Uh, we were JK back in 1949. We didn't really want to add that and, you know, just ignore that. You mean a party that's just, like, neoliberalized more than any other party in this country? Nah, could never happen. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is an interesting kind of, like, how do you, I just wonder, like, I maybe particularly about the USOs or stuff like that, like, how do you square this, like... They're not real. We don't. Are, I know, but like, how how do you like how do you deal with that kind of like weird contradiction of what this party has become of just like the SPD now is opposing probably one of the biggest things it's ever accomplished and like that's lasted the test of time. It's like how can you not be someone like um, what's his name, the one that everyone stand for a bit from the Usos, Kevin um, Kuhn. Oh. Yeah, yeah. How can you not be like fuck? <laughs> like looking at this. Um, I think down. it's because I, just, it's, I think it's because it's either like like in all seriousness with the SPD, it's either that you realize that you're not this like weird formation of like a neoliberal social democrat. Like you're not like a Blairite, which is kind of like remember Germany's ten years late to the party, if not longer, always. Um. Mm. Like, Olaf Scholz is from the right of his party and is being nominated as the um, chancellor candidate I mean, of a party that cannot win the chancellor's seat. Like, like, 
just no, yeah. won't happen. But still, like, um, I think it's like one part the sense that then that a lot of people just either grow out of it and they're like, oh, this party is kind of sus. Or they end up doing the Kevin Kunut role, which is that they'll stay in as long as they can as like more or less a Marxist and then check out and then kind of slowly start developing themselves as a actual politician. Mm. So because like, remember, Olaf Scholz, Olaf Scholz was a Leninist. I was about to say that that's the typical kind of like trajectory of people yeah. people in the SPD. Very normal, yeah. It's super normal. The SPD is that like you're young, you're wild, you know, young, wild, and free. You know, you're kind of a you know Marxist or in Olaf Scholz's case, explicitly called himself a Leninist on multiple occasions, mm. and then now is um, yeah, very much a I would say right member of his own party. So, uh, yeah. dude, I can say all my best friends are landlords. Kind of. <laughs> the uh, yeah, it's 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 just upsetting, and most of it is driven by like I don't know, a a a, a hatred of the fact that they get to call their youth wing party the the young socialists. I'm just very upset about that. I want that title. <laughs> um, I would leave it there with the uh, info section. Uh, we didn't talk about Elon Musk, but is there anything else we want to add before we tell you how you can get involved in this very exciting movement that you see us uh, glowing about? Wait, were uh, we actually going to talk about Elon Musk? Well, I don't know. He's kind of related. Well, like I was shoehorning Tesla it Tesla factory shit. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, Tesla. The, <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah, I mean, you're next, bitch. To... <laughs> yeah. Um... God, I, I was I was reading about the hyperloop again yesterday, and I was just like, "This is such a fucking dumb." Anyway, the 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 other thing that I think is kind of like uh, surprised you that one of the dumbest talk- men on the face of the earth had a really stupid idea. So the the one thing that I found really upsetting is the the company he made to make the hyperloop possible, his like tunnel digging company, the boring company, yeah, actually is successful at like they have made digging tunnels a lot faster and more efficient and then they just continue to use it for projects that are doomed from the start <laughs> it's really upsetting um they actually use but, it to okay, build, so build guess... the airport in berlin <laughs> <laughs> no but they build all these tunnels that are like meant to be for the hyperloop and then they turn out to be like oh the hyperloop doesn't work but these tunnels are too small for like a conventional subway so i guess this is just a big sewer now or something but the um so I guess the, the question that uh, I'm not sure if it's even worth bringing up now, we probably have to bring it up when we actually go to talk about like Tesla and maybe even Amazon coming to Berlin, but like how much of this stuff is happening in Brandenburg, yeah. like technically and legally. And like that as this weird loophole of like getting around Berlin's slightly more radical politics by just actually being like, now we'll just put it in Brandenburg, but like right up on the border. So like, yeah, because like, who's who controls Brandenburg at the moment? CDU, I think it's SPD. SPD. Yeah, SPD really. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fair enough. Very much so. Well, they're not any better, really. That's what the main kind of the point of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> but uh, that's that's probably for a discussion when we actually do talk about like the campaign against uh, the Gigafactory, as it's called. But like. I'm not mistaken, right? That's going to actually be in technically in Brandenburg rather than yeah, right next to the airport. Yep. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, like yeah. on, it's on protected forest, too, which is even crazier. Mm-hmm. I had to cut down some of it for fuck's sake. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, right, part, well, my, yeah, just that, like, <laughs> my partner's from Brandenburg, so she... <laughs> She complains about this. <laughs> I mean, you. We can, oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're like hemorrhaging people to Berlin since decades, you know. So I can understand it from the Brandenburg perspective, but yeah, it's it's unfortunate. But it is a, it is this kind of like I can totally see this becoming the tactic of like Berlin capital or German capital of just being like, all right, so Berlin government has been compromised by the Vuvuzelas. Let's just do everything on the Brandenburg border. Um, yeah, let's just like fuck up Potsdam and whatnot and Oranienburg. Oh, yeah, Potsdam is another interesting situation. There's also a lot of Deutsche Wohnen apartments in Potsdam. I think they also have their own like local movements there as well. So, oh, good. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should talk about how you, the listener, can get involved and make this dream we've been talking about for the past hour plus a reality. So this episode is coming out on the 22nd. Uh, The 26th is the kickoff date for the second phase when the Deutsche Vona needs, is aiming for, I believe, 240,000 signatures from uh, Wahlberechtigt Berliners in order to get this on the ballot in September is the election, right? And almost as importantly, to keep making uh, giant housing companies mad, to keep scaring political parties (laughs) and everything else we talked about. Uh, So, Tom, if people want to get involved, what should they do? Where should they go? Um, Bring Help help us lead uh, these sheep to pasture. (laughs) So there, there are several different ways you can get involved. I think the easiest way is probably to find your local Keats team, if you speak German. Um, there are essentially Keats teams in every Bezirk or district, essentially, that is uh, organizing all of the signature collections. So what they do is they're they're talking to establishments to set up places where people can go to and actually sign when they have time. They're doing signature drives, sign- signature parties, events, um, essentially going onto the streets and talking to people. We're going through apartment houses and knocking on doors. Um, so like go to the DVE, uh, dvandeigenen.de website. Um, and I think under um, Mitmachen or Sammlerwerden, essentially you can find where your Keats team is. There's an address for it and you can write them directly and be like, yes, I would like to help. And they'll put you in a Telegram group and there are different meetings as well. Um if you are looking to just get information, you can join one of the new people meetings. I think there is one on, I think one next week, probably, I think on the 22nd or 26th. I'd have to look that up, but we can, we can put that in later. Um, and you can get introduced sure. to the campaign. If you are not a German speaker, um, it's probably easier for you to get involved directly in the Right to the City working group. Um, this is a group of uh, non-German speakers who essentially have come together and decided, okay, you know, because we actually can't sign and vote for the referendum, we'd like to help um, collect signatures. We'd like to do networking and organization with other migrants and immigrant groups around the city as well. And I think... Um, just being a source of like actual like labor for the campaign is probably the most important thing at the moment. So right now we have a thousand people that have signed up to um, be collectors. Um, if we're talking about two hundred and forty thousand signatures, you know each 
each one of those people would have to collect something like 240 signatures, which is quite a lot. <laughs> um, so the more people, the better. Um, and yeah, I think in general, um, just doing your part in collecting signatures is a super great way to help. Um, talking to your neighbors, asking them to get involved, um, asking around your neighborhood if there's any place that might want to host signature uh, lists just for the sure. people who come in. bookstore. In general, Spady Bookstore. Mm. Um, I think it'll be important to have more kind of um, stuff like Spadies and bakeries because of the the current pandemic as well. Less stuff is, are, are, is open essentially, but um, anyway, any of those ways are, are some really great ways to get involved. And I think it's a really exciting time to actually join the campaign because it's really just like getting started in terms of like tons of people on the street so it's going to be really fun to see like over the next couple months um lots of demos um to go to demonstrations um and also in the in the lead up to the election in september there's going to be a lot of actual canvassing happening we're going to be doing tele tele campaigning as well so uh it's a great way to practice your german as well you know i don't know if you've ever gotten to huh? political discussions in german but uh it's it's a thing mm -hmm. it's fun <laughs> it's really fun if you go knocking on doors and talk to people in german as well you know sometimes they'll invite you inside during corona times maybe not but um it's happened to us in the past where they'll invite you inside and they give you tea and stuff you can have a conversation with people so um oh. not only is it a great great way to um i think do the footwork um it's also a great way to get to know your neighborhood it's a great way to get more people involved it's a great like social activity i think you know it's really nice to just on a summer summer evening and like also spring evening to go out have a, it's warming a, up out there it's warming up beers, out there everybody go go out on and collect signatures on temple offer Feld or something like this um it's really fun yeah. if you i hope that we can make our uh, enthusiasm contagious because i do think if you were like i don't know maybe you heard about i don't know the bernie campaign or something like all these campaigns that like we want to do it is so much more than already uh, that the stated goal is a big deal and I think that we can turn it into hopefully a vehicle for so much more. And um, the right to the city group that Tom mentioned, there are ma very ma many good, there are many very good German speakers. So they are happy to translate for you. Groups like Berlin DSA will help with coordinating too. You can write them. You can write DSA. You can write us. I'll go out and collect signatures with you. Like we are all in this together. Um, and there's, you can be creative, you know, you can put a list, uh, in the, in the floor and at the front door and see if your neighbors sign it. You can, yeah, go to have it outside. You can set up a little stand outside. You can just talk to people in the park. There's a, uh, there's some options. Definitely. I think you might um, need to talk to, mm. to the police for that one, but <laughs> <laughs> if it's, if we'll it's see. on a bike, we'll I think a signature it's okay. Is a signature. I think that's the exception. Wait, what, like what, what are the rules actually? <laughs> If you set up a stand, it has to be like you have to oh, do an auto or you have to register it with the police essentially. But there are like exceptions. Oh. If it's like on a bike, then it's mobile, then it's okay. Ooh. So like you, you can like Ooh, rent one of these like Lastenträger yeah. Fahrrad or something. And yeah. Ask a small I mean, child to borrow his tricycle. In... <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a guy in uh, there's a guy in Neukölln who talks about how like. He rides around on a bicycle and hands out literature about how all immigrants should be allowed to vote on a megaphone. Akim, he's taking yes, back. the king. Yeah, yeah, we love this him. Spirit uh, animal for the right to the city uh, working group. 
Hell exactly. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's similar to this, uh, something I learned by looking at all the like policy positions in like the state elections, is something that's coming up in Germany uh, this year is allowing uh, immigrants who've been here for five years or longer to vote at the state level, regardless of whether they're citizens or not. So, you know, um, Germans, Kieran and do I, vote for Kieran that. And I Unleash finally... my power! <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, I can already vote here. But whatever, still, I want to power up. <laughs> you the, can't vote yeah, at the exactly. state level, if you're, even yeah. if you're an EU citizen. No, exactly. It's only, it's for only in some Berlin, up, though, is... is it's communal uh, level. Oh yeah, okay. Fine. And I should Berlin, clarify yeah. that a federal, a federal state, so yeah, it's it's different. I believe. Yeah, we only Tom, have communal in EU, Nick. Tom, maybe you can correct me. You have to have like you have to be a German passport and uncommitted in Berlin to have to be a valid signature for this. Yes, but all right. Who uh, wants to marry me? And sign uh, sign anyways because we <laughs> plan on yeah. scandal scandalizing the amount of un- invalid signatures. So twenty five percent of Berlin, I believe, does not meet. Uh, that criteria or i think that just yes. might be without a german mm. passport might be even more who are those are uh, foreigners who are yeah 25 yeah. so um so the, but there's uh, a lot yeah. you can do do that unleash my power involved. yes do uh i i think i'm just gonna wear a big t-shirt that says high rents ruined my country <laughs> and then just get that translated to German and um just ask for people's signatures yeah, we'll put that on a t-shirt because I won't be able to communicate anything other than that and just be yeah. like, Unterschrift and bitte. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, the campaign welcomes all signatures and, you know, I think the I think the the legal requirement in in terms of the, you know, to get on the ballot is 175,000, maybe 180,000. The campaign is yeah. The exact you know? the exact law is 7% of all Ah, um, okay. All eligible voters. Yeah. So it's it's about um, 170,000. Yeah. Yeah. The campaign has shot for 240,000, but, you know, why not why not more? Yeah. Let's go. Let's fucking go. <laughs> um all right, anything else uh, that that we want to add before we ask Tom where we can uh, where people can find more? Um uh jesus greek gerald i forgot to bring it up but let, i'm bringing it back <laughs> uh yeah i i this is a genuinely very exciting campaign and it's good it's very good support it if you can if you have the time if you're in berlin if you're a german if you're someone who's just interested in rent and housing anywhere uh, that you listen to this, investigate this campaign, reach out to someone, ask how they did things, try to do it where you are. It's really fucking cool. All right. Um, so, Tom, I will have um, that article I, that you wrote that I mentioned in the description. I'll have links to Deutsche Wohnen and Eignen. Is there anything else you want to, uh, anything else coming up, anything else you want to uh, promote? Uh, so, you have the uh, floor. Friday, we are actually having a demonstration, I think at 1130 at Cop Tour. You're welcome to come by. I think we're having a press conference, and essentially it'll be like the launch for the uh, the second uh, round of signature collection as well. So um, I can also send over some links in terms of what the event's coming up, but that'll be like the big, like, you know, explosion. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. Nice. Actually, I, I don't know if I even mentioned, there's a window of, what, four months that the signatures have to be collected in? Yeah, so, it's four it bef- so, you know, 
The clock is ticking. I think, Are we going to yeah, make our future? Yeah. Per day, it's something like almost 2,000 signatures. So it's, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> All right. We got this. Yeah, We're seriously. We're all in this I, together, I, just like High School Musical says. Mm. I am very optimistic. Um, this It is heartwarming to political barren wastelands of the places we're from and yeah <laughs> let's do it why not let's fucking yep let's go let's be legends we can make the 90s happen again <laughs> asterisk new 90s <laughs> new 90s new 90s, <laughs> new 90s. <laughs> less privatization Our, new of, better 90s yeah exactly former, <laughs> yeah, former yeah, east yeah. black countries it's the 90s <laughs> It's it's the it's the nineties again, but history is alive. <laughs> history is no longer over. Fuck off, Fukuyama. We're done. <laughs> yeah, and we all understand that Britney Spears was the right one in that relationship breakup. It's a different nineties. We've learned. <laughs> all right, thank you everybody for listening. Talk to you next week. Thank you, Tom, for coming on. Bye bye. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Thanks so much for having me. Take care.